for two years, this was a weekend thing that we kept on adding different features to solve our problem, eventually solved all other designers' problems as well. And in 2019, we decided, hey, maybe it's time to quit our jobs and maybe do this full time. Hi, welcome to the Founders with Pet podcast, where I interview amazing entrepreneurs from diverse backgrounds about their journeys, successes, failures, and lessons along the way. Welcome to the Founders with Peck podcast, uh, where I interview diverse founders from all over the world. Basically, I want to learn and share these founders' amazing journeys with my network and my friends. And the journey is not always linear, and I want to showcase that. And it's not necessarily all about high-growth VC field unicorns in Silicon Valley. And I'd like to showcase founders from everywhere around the world. And I'm your host, Peck Pompet. And on today's episode, we have... Natu Anand, and he's the CTO of Lottie Files. Can you tell us a little bit about Lottie Files and a bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks, back for having me. Lottie Files, oh, this is an interesting thing. Usually is for a startup, I, I feel like it takes a couple of years for you to explain what you actually do. So before you know what Lottie Files is, you need to know about what Lottie is. It's a new animation format that is like super tiny, sort of a JSON-based file format. And Lottie Files is tooling the community around this file format and mostly empowering designers and developers to use this format and, and, and bring this motion to the products that they're actually building so that this becomes more humanized, right? So somewhere there, I'm actually from the Maldives, super tiny island, island nation, and mostly people don't hear about it. And I'm based in Southeast Asia, uh, trying to build this as a startup from a weekend project now to, I don't know, like in a high growth stage right now. Yeah, you're very humble. So Lottie Files, I looked at some stats, is used by over 65,000 global companies, including Nike, Google, Microsoft, Netflix, Disney, Duolingo, and TikTok, and many more. The top 500 apps on the App Store now use Lottie Files, and you've also raised over uh, $9 million led by M12, which is a Microsoft Venture Fund. Is that all correct, or is, uh, do, do some stats need to be updated? I think that's about right, but because it's in the high growth stage, both as a company and the user base, the stats are mostly outdated. <laughs> that's amazing. That That's really amazing. It, it, let's start from the beginning. Tell, tell us, so Maldives, what was it like growing up there? It's small. There's You will literally know everybody in the island. Um, you will like everyone. You will hate everyone. Everybody's your <laughs> ex, sort of. How long um, does it take to drive around the island? About, so usually all the islands are about one kilometers, um, mm. meter. And and it takes about, I think, hours were quite big. It takes about 25 minutes to or to take a ride around. But I think the best thing that I remember about is everywhere you go, you hear the sound of waves. So even when you're at home, you hear the sound of waves. And since there's no light pollution, when you get out, out of your house, you can see the Milky Way right up there. Oh, that's, uh, so that, that is amazing. the two two best things that I miss most right now. 
Yeah, yeah. I think I I lived in Penang, so we have a some commonality where I've spent a lot of time growing up in Malaysia. But I grew up in Penang, and you know, the island you can drive around in two hours. But yeah, I, you can hear waves for for many parts of of the island. So I I understand what you're talking about. And even now, I sleep when I sleep, I, I prefer the sound of of waves. So we I have that on. So what what brought you Malaysia, and and why? Malaysia in particular, versus say, I don't know. I think it's pretty common to start maybe a global startup in, for example, Singapore. Yeah, it was very interesting because growing up in the islands and living in the capital city of the Maldives, where the startup wasn't really startup in industry wasn't really, I would say, and we felt like we hit the top mark. Where I ran a web agency. For about five years, was working on my own sort of startups around publishing news media and so forth. So there wasn't anything new to do, and it was very like easy for people to go to countries like Sri Lanka, India, and then even Malaysia, mostly for studies as well. So the time I was married, and I actually moved, left my job or like freelance projects that I was doing, and moved to Malaysia. Not. Thinking that hey, I'm gonna find a job here or anything, but I I thought like I'll support her and then do the freelance work right here. So, um, came here and started with like diving deep into the startup industry right here. Even though the on the personal side the marriages didn't work, you will if you search around the Maldives has the largest number of the most number of divorces as per country. Maybe this is another study to go into. But the interesting part is that I actually got into lean startup, lean startup, and that's where I sort of like met a lot of founders that who were trying to build their first startup. And lean startup framework was a really nice one to. Validate your problem, your solution, and sort of go through this journey. So I spent a couple of months and few years on, on on this ideology of what is the best way that I could try a startup or validate that. But at the, at the same time, I was sort of like coming from the UX and U, UX background, trying my sort of like design skills and so forth. And throughout the journey, became a product designer, and then. Deep dive into the UX research and this side of things. While at the back of my mind, the, the lean startup method was there. So I think that is the transition we're coming from, like hacking back in, in in the Maldives to a whole new startup culture in Malaysia, where it was just like beginning out as well. Was there a good? How was the startup ecosystem in Malaysia? That was for us to come from out of almost nothing. To something where people openly talk about their ideas, I think that was like very eye-opening for me because usually we have this idea of hey, I cannot share my idea because somebody might steal my <laughs> idea. To where everybody is like very openly sharing their ideas, so that was very eye-opening. I couldn't compare that with any other um, startup sort of like cultures in Singapore or anywhere else, but Malaysia that. We had like a lot of new people, new founders, have this urge to get something now. So there was a lot of energy. There was a lot of events that I was like, "Hey, I shouldn't miss any of these events." So I actually went going to almost every one of them that I found around. Very cool. Tell me about failures. Assuming Lottie Files is not your first startup, tell me about kind of other startup ventures that you tried. 
Yeah, so back in the Maldives for about five years, I ran this web agency where it was very early for companies or agencies to do a mobile app and some sort of that. So me and my friend, one of my best friends, we started a web agency. The name is really funny. It's called Semicolon because we feel like you have to use a semicolon to execute something. (laughs) For five years, we were doing it, but we didn't know how to scale because we both are devs and I was doing the design side of things as well. And also the project managing and communicating and all of that. And and mostly for for a country that who's exploring into the technology side of things, us being the creation side, we didn't know that usually the projects that we work on are usually done by a huge number of teams, right? Like huge, like three or four people. We were just full stack designers and full stack sort of tech guys or doing everything back end, front end, mobile app, web app, UI, UX, because the client says, hey, I want a news website just like CNN. So <laughs> that like is CNN. our benchmark. Yeah. So and but then, but like you have that. two people. Yeah. So throughout that, so for about five years, we are just like maximum number of sleep that we could get is like four hours. So for wow. about five years, it's just the same, couldn't scale up. And at the end, I remember like we were taking a Euro trip and on, on the way back, I was like, man, I, I, I can't do this. I, I will just go and be a fisherman. And because I couldn't just handle that doing for about five years, I was so much stress where there was so much to learn, so much we didn't know. We were like, hey, even accounting, going to bank and going to win these projects to everything. I was like two guys. So that was just too much to handle. I think that was one, like one, one huge failure that we learned so much from that I think today that I'm very conscious about. The second one is that when I did the UI UX one, the first job here in Malaysia, this is more about like now being working in a company versus back then it was like building something. So working in a company, the, the UX part and meeting and the, the whole communication and all of that kicks in. It was very new to me because usually we were working with friends. Now it's like a whole new space where the importance of setting the expectation is being a UI UX designer when things are not clear, things would go south. And at the end, I like I was working nonstop. And at the end, it was falling on the life side. And then eventually I got fired um, oh, wow. from the job. So that is where I think went downhill completely. And I had to like take myself out. Okay, this is a new beginning. I've got to start. I've got to figure things out. And the next stop, I think the next job that I got moved from UI to a product designer. And then I think since then it was, it was I don't know, I feel at least better from that learning that I went through both on a personal side and both on the work side. And it wasn't always about opportunities. There was opportunities coming left and center, but if I couldn't scale the entire business up, then either you will just go down with it. Yeah. Yeah, it's speaking of the, we have that commonality where I too have an agency and, and that's actually my, my primary uh, means of income and day job and livelihood. And yeah, we've grown very slowly. We, not that I want to necessarily scale to be like huge, uh, massive consulting companies like some, some people I know. But yeah, I, I, like you, I didn't have all the skills I've had multiple failures because yeah, I didn't know sales. I didn't know marketing. I didn't took, it, it takes so many f- 
things, check boxes to be good at for a successful company. You can't just be good at design and engineering and think, oh, you'll be successful. You have to learn how to scale. Like you said, you have to learn how to communicate and work with other people. That's, those are valuable skills to have that I think you nobody teaches you and it develops over time and experience and sometimes experience are failures first. What gave you the idea for Lottie Files, the, the startup? Yeah. How did you see that as something? Interesting. So the next job after the Lean Startup thing was about a home service marketplace where home service marketplace, you can't really make an app look that sexy, but that was the time when mobile apps were really sexy. So what, what we were doing was putting a lot of visuals around it, like cartoon characters and then all of that. There was always a need to add motion, but and so exploring different ways within, but it just died there because it's so hard for you to actually code the animations. And then one of my friends, and we when we got out of the Maldives, we got like about five or six people in design the entire country back then. So <laughs> we all are very connected. So and all the designers of, left the Maltese. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all the UX designers, <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. a very new term back then. So whenever something new comes, we actually talk about it. And then one of my friends, hey, like Airbnb introduced this library called, a player called Lottie. So person in the group, and he was the one who actually bought the domain. I was like, hey, do you want to do something about it? And I was like, I'll think about it. Maybe over the weekend, I'll do something. So I actually, over the weekend, went to a cafe. And he gave me a few sketches as well. He's a UX designer. And so we created sort of an initial draft of it. Uh, took me about eight hours, built the, the entire thing using Laravel um, PHP, and then hosted it on a, like a self-hosting platform, and then and then ask few of a few of our motion because at, at the time it was very early. So as a library, we didn't even know that these files can be played on the web because it was named as something else. There was no Lottie web, there was only Lottie Android and iOS. And as we dug deeper, we saw that, oh, okay, this was actually a file format somebody else did three or four years earlier called Body Movie. So we were like, oh, they actually have a web player that we could put on our website and oh, then wow. put these three or four files and put it out. And then we send a message to one of the guys at Airbnb and saying that, hey, look what we did over the weekend. And then we heard back. So that was the initial thing. It took us about eight hours to do the first version and put it out there. There was like four animations that we found on the internet and then put their names in there. I was like, oh, okay. Because, and, and that, that's, that's the reason why it's called Lottie Files, because the idea was to put few Lottie animations. And there was no term about Lottie Files back then. I think we actually gave the term because it's a Lottie player. And, and there comes the problem, hey, why is it a JSON file? Well, you call it a Lottie file. So there's like whole confusion back then. And I think what followed was us trying to use this animation on our products. That means I have to test this animation. And for me to test this animation, I have to build an Android app and iOS app and run it every single time to see whether this animation works because the features that support, yes. And and also I think the biggest problem was the features that supports Android app versus iOS apps were different. Mm -hmm. So that means even if, if I could see on the After Effects, hey, this looks nice there, it won't support on Android or iOS. So I'll have to check every single time. That means I'll have to, it's a designer. Imagine I don't even know how to do an Android app or iOS app. 
I'll have to figure a way to play. So what actually followed on Lorifas was our journey of actually using this file. We built like small utility mobile apps where you could scan a QR and then play it on Android iOS oh, without wow. building your app. So that actually followed like for two years, this was a weekend thing that we kept on adding different features to solve our problem, eventually solved all other designers' problems as well. And in 2019, we decided, hey, maybe it's time to quit our jobs and maybe do this full-time. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it, at first, it seemed more like a, you were solving problems, but it wasn't apparently obvious that you could quit your job and make this a full-time thing. So it is running on slow burn until there was a, some sort of moment. Is that kind of, yeah. Yeah, I think along the journey, like I never thought this would be something that I would quit my job because it was cool. Lottie was so niche that only few companies were using. And then I couldn't even explain what Lottie is to anyone. And for about two years, and when I quit my job, to I, like one mind. So this is in, in, in the middle, right after I started, we started Lottie. And then in the middle, I quit my job as a product designer. I was leading the team. And I was like, maybe is it time for me to go to Lottie or do Lottie as a serious thing? I was like, maybe not ready. No, not yet. So I joined another company where I found like my co-founders and then and went deeper into the product design route where Lottie again grew being on the side. So usually I think there's a saying, things that you cannot apply at your day job, you apply to your weekend or sidekick. So I think Lottie became that thing that- This is it right now. Like, this is it, yeah. <laughs> this podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly, you never know. So I think Lottie became that where things that, anything that I learned on at the job that I could not apply, I was like, hey, this thing is cool. Let me just go and do that. And I think one thing that, one thing that I really loved about the entire journey was that how accessible it was to reach anyone. So I used Twitter on day one. I tweeted to guys at Airbnb. We became really good friends to guys in Disney, to Google, to just tweet to them and they respond to me. I was like, this is magic. Because like back then, I think without social media, I couldn't even have imagined reaching anyone. And people are so nice. They respond straight away. They give me feedback as not to these things are breaking. And now it's like coming, hey, not to, can you just charge our cards because we are putting our free stuff there? So it's, I think that is what I value most, these connections that I made over the years. And Lottie is the topic, but let me actually connect with a lot of amazing and talented folks around the world. So you're uh, you're much braver than I am. I'm very shy on Twitter. I don't think uh, I would just randomly start messaging, at, chatting with brands. So I commend you for having the initiative for that. And I think that's one lesson there that other founders can take away is it doesn't hurt to just reach out and at worst, they'll just maybe ignore you and you don't get a response. Uh, that's something that I, I struggle with. My, I think my what served me well is developing relationships and then I become comfortable and, and have the, once I have those relationships, I'm, I'm much more open. Same thing with ours. I, I don't think you, you mentioned about Clubhouse and I actually, Marissa Louie started club, the, the designers club Clubhouse, which is where we met, but I, without her dragging me on the stage, I wouldn't have just 
decided, hey, I want to just jump on. I would never start a chat a, a club, and I would probably never just start talking and unless somebody dragged me on stage. So that's that's something that I I think I struggle with is uh, a little bit of shyness. But I'm, I'm very grateful that that she did, and that we met. Yeah. Yeah. At some at what point did so when you quit. Uh, your job for Lottie was Lottie already making revenue and making some money at that point? Was there a business model then? Mm, not really, but because it is hosted on, on on the internet and we were paying like the hosting bills. At one point, what we did was we added this carbon ads where they actually serve very designer centric, selective ads on the website, and because the website was getting traffic. So I was getting enough money to actually pay for the hosting. It covers the hosting bill, but nothing else. So it wasn't making money. It's still not making money today. But I think along the way to scale it, we wouldn't even know because at one point it's like over the weekend, you walk on it, you leave it. If something goes down, probably somebody is going to tweet about it. So <laughs> that's how I actually found it out. And it didn't hit me until my hosting provider message was saying that, hey, you guys are a little bit above our limit. Your limit is about, I don't know, 10 GB or something or 100 GB, but you're like more than that. They, yeah, they were like, your quota is like 30. Now you're above 120 or something. It's oh, like wow. Just a little bit above. And then just a at bit. the end of that email, I was like, P.S., we love Lolly Faust. So this is from the hosting provider. I was like, oh, shit. So I've got to like now really look at housekeeping and maintaining this and, and all of that. So I think those are like little cues that I saw that is in terms of scaling it is these are like growing because every milestone I remember we were posting on Facebook, hey, our weekend project got 10,000 downloads and soon it was a million downloads, but it still was that weekend project. So in our mind, it was still the weekend project that we don't think that there's any value. So some people would kill, you know, as soon as they get a million, they would go fundraising right away. You're like, oh, maybe it's still a weekend project. <laughs> That's amazing. At what point did you decide to, okay, you so you quit your job. At what point did you decide to raise money? Yeah, raise money was right after we decided. So I met one of my co-founders back in my last company. And we're like, hey, because this has enough traction, enough people are using it, maybe there's something out there. The idea was even back then, hey, we will just create a marketplace and we'll just sell Lottie Animation and make a million. So that was the easiest model out there. And so I wasn't even the first employee of the company. I got one of my friends to join. And then we started this as like an entity incorporating the entire thing and getting more more space in rework. And so that's where it started. But because when we looked into the tooling side of things, there were like big companies actually using it. And we had conversations with them about, hey, what other things can we improve? Why are you actually using us? So it seems like there was like a real pain point that we were solving. And because they've been on it for so long, it feels. And, and the biggest thing was, if we took this away, are they going to cry about it? And everyone was like, yes, like we can't live without it. So I think that was like enough validation that we are giving so much value to them. 
And that's when we actually reached out for about a seed funding from a few friends as well and got enough money to set up, incorporate, and then start hiring a few employees. That was around 2019, about the first quarter of it. And yeah, so yeah. that is, I think, yeah. How, how hard was it to raise uh, money from M12? Or how many other firms did you reach out to? And what was that process like? So in, interesting, right before that on our seed round, we actually reached out to Adobe as well because they have Adobe Design for Fund as well. And during pandemic was actually when we reached out for and we weren't even ready for a series A round. We were like exploring that, hey, because being first-time founders, like I had no idea when the next one happens. It's just when you start the conversation and very much learn about it. And during the pandemic, we actually talked to a lot of founders. Uh, sorry, founders, and then also investors, they kept on reaching out. Because I think one thing that we we did was we announced our like Adobe design, like fund for design around the time the pandemic started. So there was a lot of chatter around and we were getting a lot of inbound queries about, hey, are you guys ready for Series A or not? Are you guys looking for fun? Hey, let's let's start talking. So I think these conversations taught us a lot about like where the company is at. Are we creating enough value? Are they are there enough people returning as well? So it made us look deeper into the into the metrics that we have. Whether is this worth what we are claiming it to be worth? And so we did talk to a lot of like VCs, and that's where we learn about looking to what really matters and learning what we are not really seeing. Because from a designer and an engineering point of view, okay, we have a nice product, but we're not really looking at where we're going. What does the world will be in the next five years or two years? Or So we miss a lot of context right there, which investors help us actually see that. And what are other companies in this space? They are progressing what they are at right now. And think, think, think of this more in a strategic way, I think. That was something very interesting. It was it was really hard because during lockdown, now you have 20, 30 calls. So every day is like just calls and trying to gauge this thing around, dealing with the pandemic and lockdown that we have. So that was like a time that we were trying to figure out how to work best where in the company, I was like a lot of my friends were in the company. So the ones that I met in before, the ones that I like started companies with before, they all came together to be a part of this, helping to build this. So that was a time that we were trying to figure out. And I think probably would be not the right time to go look for a series F. What were some of the things that investors made you think about that you didn't think about before? And this would be really helpful for first-time founders. I think two ways when I think about it is the structure that you have. Because being a, being a small startup, the way that an investor looks at you could be like their preferences. Hey, for example, all of my past, if you go and look at LinkedIn, will be I was a designer in the previous companies, product design. But my 20 years, I've done tech as a hobby thing. So there's no way that anybody, when they do due diligence on you or me, they would see the tech side of me at all. 
that was like always designed. So maybe in a way that, hey, the first thing is, hey, you guys need a real tech guy. So I think in a lot of times this gets to, gets to us to question yourself that, hey, am I really capable of doing this? Or do I need to replace someone right now so that it would make the investors happy and they know that, okay, I'm listening to them and that. But I think and when I like talk to other founders as well, hey, there's no right or wrong way. This is your journey to figure out. This is your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. And you figure out as you go. I think that took a while for me to get it. Like, hey, this is the journey. There's no right or wrong way. There's only choices that you make. And mostly you will learn. And yeah, and always think about or at least believe that your intentions are right. And if it makes sense to you, then go ahead, do that. But also do get those feedbacks so that you're very conscious about it. Yeah. I challenge the need for a tech co-founder these days, looking at all these low-code, no-code no platforms. Code. <laughs> a friend of mine built a, a project management tool for an industry, like a very niche industry. And the front end, yeah, it was a, it's a front end is built on a no code <laughs> tool <laughs> and he was actually able to raise money for it. Hey, the tool works and we have, he has paying customers. It doesn't, yeah, I think I, I think technology is today, maybe for example, 20 years ago, if you told someone you needed, you, you couldn't start a, a website easily without data centers and servers. And now you just go to AWS or Google cloud and like, it, it's, it's a solved problem. And same thing with the, some parts of technology and engineering and, and, and tooling is you can get away with or get pretty far with, without having a, a tech, like a pure, like hardcore tech co-founder. I don't know. That's my opinion. No, well, no I, I think I, I agree with you on some points where, for example, when we did like Lottie Files in the very early stage, all the notifications would come to a Telegram group where like I'm on the move and then I can just open right there and approve these animations. So all the animations on the website are like manually approved by me most of the time for at least for three years. And and a lot of these, and then I really love no code, low code tools. I think this comes from not me not being full on tech, but being a part of lean startup guy yeah. where what are the things I can hack and then put on these things where I don't have to go and code the entire thing. If this was a project that I had to code the entire thing, I probably wouldn't have spent all of that time coding everything. So I think these days that barrier is becoming um, smaller and smaller where a lot of these founders, they can go and build using the tools provided, but there's still learning and there's still validation. There's still the whole process of, figuring your problem solution part, it doesn't go away, but it helps you go to market first faster by actually leveraging on these tools. And I think like every day we hear a lot of inspiring stories that is coming up, make a pair to a lot of them like leveraging on these low-code tools. So I actually agree with you, but I think as you build the company, when you scale it up, that's where the limitation comes from. Sure. That's where sometimes you have to bring in your own yeah. expertise or... Yeah. But I think after you raise the 9 million, that's that's when you make some serious technology investments. So it, it makes sense now. Looking at the Lottie Files website, it's apparent one business model is the marketplace and, and designers 
post stuff that there's free animations and then there's animations for sale. Is that the primary business model right now? Or what is the, what are the other business? And, and one of the reasons why we did the marketplace was because there were a lot of designers or motion designers giving the animations for free on the website. I don't see much of the online communities where a lot of designers give like their files for free. free. They spend hours and hours to create these high quality animations and then give it for free on our websites. It's under Creative Commons license and you give attribute as well. But, and we see thousands and thousands of them coming in. And for me, when we think about it as a designer, if they're showcasing their stuff animations and then also giving it for free, you should provide a place for them to actually make some money out of it as well. And if this is a platform where we attract a lot of people and if they cannot find what they're looking for, maybe they could even approach these people and designers and then hire them as well. So then we've been able to hire me. We don't take any cut in between. They, they can so it's just a job board. Directly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And also, and all these animations that people share, they were like freely, they were like once of ones. So if anybody's looking to get a pack or something for their mobile app, there's almost no way. And I couldn't go and ask these designers, hey, whenever you do an animation, do the entire pack and give it for free. So yeah. I think the marketplace came in where enabling the designers who give these free animations a place where they can actually make money. Yeah. And that was the idea. And not any time that we had the idea that I will make a lot of money making this as a marketplace thing. Yeah. And and one interesting thing came from here was that initially when we started the company, like I mentioned uh, earlier, that we thought that we were going to build a marketplace model uh, and we'll make a million out of it. So we actually paid a lot of designers to create animations for us. And when we actually launched, we were like, hey, if we are inviting others to sell on this platform, if we are selling, then it doesn't really make sense. So we actually gave all these high quality animations for free to everyone wow. uh, publicly and then let these designers actually sell on the platform. We recently did an acquisition platform called IconScout.com where they are a full-on marketplace which sell icon illustration and 3D assets. So we are like, because our heart is about creating tools around body and then support the community. And if we are also selling the animations, there's also really high quality free animations, then it's so hard. It's competing with each other as well. We thought, hey, what if we could let the designer sell in a proper marketplace where they can support they have the they can sell packs and then there's a community around it and there's a bigger space, uh, big exposure as well. Our main monetization is not in there. We are still trying to experiment sort of monetization methods. How could we do the value capture of the value that we create within the lottery community as well? So it's still some things in the work that we are just experimenting with what are the possible routes that we can go with monetization. But I think being at the heart of an open source file format, our heart is very much on, on creating tools and enabling and making, and it, at least working towards making Lottie a bigger success yeah. than just this company. So I think that was the foundation of it as well from the start. And even now our pushes or like our efforts are into that direction. 
we know if we generate enough value today, then there is possible routes that we can actually go and capture. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I ever would have thought that one, I could make money off of an open source file format, and two, it's not even my open source file; somebody else's open file source file format. So I think that's it's great. Yeah, ideas, especially a new platform that's not already well established. Yeah. Very good. How can how much can a designer or an animator, motion designer, expect to earn? Give me some examples of maybe people who have earned money as Wadi Files. I think because and and since I haven't been on like icon or illustration uh, marketplaces, I don't know what, what to compare that with. But from what I've seen, um, they could actually make thousands, e- even monthly as well. If you do this as like a, hey, this is something that I want to keep on doing. And as you add, because this is revenue, you will keep on getting as well. And for a fact, I know there are like a few users or a few companies doing this as a full-time thing, because that would would generate a lot of money. And they'll just have to do this once and it just keeps coming back. And I think when I look back, I would have never imagined that people would actually be able to sell Lottie animations and actually make money because this was such a niche thing. But looking back, I know in 2019, when Webflow announced Lottie integration, that's when people actually discovered that, hey, I could use Lottie on the web as well, because before it was all mobile. Because the, the whole reason the lottery first came about by Airbnb was Android and iOS player. But back then it was created, originally created by this gentleman called Hernan Torisi from Argentina. That was like a few years ago. And then he created a body moving extension and all of that. So there was like every piece of the journey we kept on. It's like somebody kept contributing to it. Even big companies like Airbnb contributed to it and became popular on mobile and yeah. then when Webflow brought it to the web sort of side of things, it kept on growing. So I think that market is growing bigger and bigger as more people adapt, adapt to it. And, and soon we'll see hopefully natively being supported on fees or platforms as well. And the need for these premium assets will keep on increasing. So even if you're learning about Lottie animations and trying to sell few, try that because you would see that being increased because there was no search about Lottie earlier than 2017. So it's very new, (laughs) but it's catching up really fast. Yeah, you're riding a wave. And uh, I can see similarities between something like this is analogous to me for Twitter Bootstrap, right? Twitter Bootstrap created a whole ecosystem. There's WordPress, you know, like Twitter Bootstrap themes, like admin dashboard themes that uh, we ourselves have worked on and, and built on and purchased so I think there's, there, there is an opportunity there that you've captured riding a, a wave, especially when Airbnb jumped on it and adapted it and, and created Lottie. There, there was a, something analogous to, to be made there. So this is very cool. Yeah. We're coming towards the end of the podcast. Are there any, like, having been through your journey, like, what, was there any advice you'd give yourself? or like something that you wish you'd knew or would have done different? Yeah, I think this last two years is sort of the most interesting, I would say, 
or journey of my life because one part is that for the longest time I was in a designer or a tech guy and now the team is about 32 with the acquisition is 50 wow. so you're not a designer you're not a tech person you're a people person now and you start the company with about let's say five or six people very early employees to and every six months the this is a whole new structure it's a whole new like organizational structure and i think the biggest thing that i've learned is how to communicate i think that is the biggest thing because being a designer is it's it's so easy when you actually ask for feedback versus now you're sort of like i would say like dealing with people multiple communication and all of that is hard because i was never trained for that and i never thought that this in this journey this is what i would be doing so in my mind i was like validating the product like we are going to ship new features they're, they're going to be amazing and yeah. we are going to like create so much value but in here when i look back as it's so different where my job is not to give solution my job is to hear the problem articulate let them figure out the solution and help them close that gap around or give them insight data or any of that so i think like that's something that i miss again as well designing something on figma and all of that <laughs> it shows something cool i was like hey i want to do that i was like i don't have time yeah. to do any of that there's new libraries on tech side of things on yeah. front end i want to do i was like i can't do so i think i have to be okay with doing this and i have to learn uh, myself sort of like hey this is my new journey Yeah. and that's when i mentioned about the entrepreneurial journey where there was the start there was validation there was now like scaling up and mostly on like high growth companies i i i saw this book called like high growth handbook yeah uh, from elad gill is like the best one that i've seen so far okay. that whenever i have an issue i could actually look at that and there's actually a chapter about it so yeah. knowing that this is a very common thing and growing pains to everything is what every founder sort of goes through in this journey i think i think the best advice that i even got and i believed myself is this journey trust this journey it's going to make you better because it's going to challenge you and sort of and maybe one of the reasons why not a lot of people try this is because it is hard it is a hard journey you're going to learn so much you're going to make a lot of experiences through that yeah. so i think i think that would be that it's it's hard to articulate the entire thing because every day is changing every day yeah. is a new thing that you are learning every day is it's going to be a lot of choices that you're going to make whether it's good or bad whether mistakes or not you will learn from them and be okay with the journey yeah it's hard because it's growth it's challenging and it's not really what you're doing as a designer and stuff like that. So, I think that's my journey as well. And one thing that I I I was previously an engineer then a designer, now I would say entrepreneur or a small business owner is that just like you 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 miss Figma, you miss Sketch and designing. And how I mentally made sense out of it is I went from designing interfaces to designing a company, designing the company culture, designing you know what basically my employee experience or my team experience so i'm still designing in a way but i'm designing something else i'm designing a company 
is how I thought of it. It's like, I'm still a designer, but it's like a different journey now. I'm not just designing files and interfaces and apps. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, th I think one thing that I've learned throughout the journey is to surround yourself with amazing people that will help you learn as well. I really love that I've got like amazing co-founder that Kay, he it's the areas that I like most, mostly about scaling up companies to financial side, investor side of things as well. So that yeah. I'm very focused on the, like you mentioned, designing that experience for the company. And then now there's like an amazing team building that up that understands that I'm doing this for the first time as well. So I think it's very important to keep that communication around and set those expectations that, hey, there's going to be mistakes. There's going to be so much learning around this journey and and maybe use the Figma to design the organ organizational structure <laughs> instead of doing a UI. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Well, this, we're going to wrap this up. And if somebody wants to get a hold of you, how, how can they get a hold of you? It's the best. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at ReallyNatu. And Instagram everywhere else is ReallyNatu. That's what you do when you when any new service comes up. You just go and get your username. Yeah. I'm on Twitter almost like throughout my day. I'm just reachable right there. Awesome. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for uh, being on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah thanks for having me. Yeah, awesome. uh, this was fun. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Founders with Peck. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel. If you leave us a review, I'll be sure to shout it out. And if you have any questions, you can tweet me on Twitter. 